Let not steadfast love and faithfulness forsake you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. But the path of the righteous is like the light of dawn, which shines brighter and brighter until full day. Let your heart hold Wisdom cries aloud in the street. In the markets, she raises her voice. At the head of the noisy streets, she cries out at the entrance of the city gates. She speaks. Well, this week we're wrapping up our series that we've been in this summer and uh, throughout the Proverbs. And we've been looking at this ancient book of wisdom literature that's full of these short, pithy statements about the way that the world generally works. Uh, It's Solomon, most of it's Solomon writing to his son, wanting to impart down to him how to live well in the world that God has created. Essentially, how to live in light of reality, how to live in light of truth, to align ourselves with the way that God has wired the world to work. That's what this book is all about. And for the second week in a row, last week we looked at justice as part of our mission focus. And this week we're going to look at a different topic, but looking out, asking God the question, God, what are you inviting us to give our lives to? Would you close your eyes for a moment? I want you to imagine that you are Adam or Eve, Waking up on the morning that you find yourself in this garden that the scriptures talk about in the second chapter of the Bible. Keep your eyes closed, keep your eyes closed. In this garden, there's a a river flowing. There's trees coming into bloom. There's, There's flowers that fill the space. Everywhere you look, there's something for your eyes to take in. Can, can you see it? Okay, open your eyes, open your eyes. That story for the Israelite people, for the Hebrew people, was significant. It was different than other stories about the way that God created the world. Um, when Adam and Eve woke up, where the stories told in Genesis chapter 1 and 2, when they wake up in a garden, they are surrounded by beauty. They're surrounded by goodness. It's significant. It tells us something the scriptures do, not just about what it means to be human. It does tell us that. It tells us that we're created in the image of God, that we're given a role in God's world, that we're given a mission to fulfill. But, but more than that, the first chapters of Genesis, they tell us something about God. They tell us that God is exceedingly, abundantly, lavishly generous. See, because Adam and Eve, they didn't wake up in the middle of a desert. They woke up in the middle of a garden. You should take a note of that. That tells you something about who God is. It tells us something about what God is like. Every time we drive from Colorado to California, we drive through Nevada, and I'm like, who in the world would want to live here? No offense if you have. But I'm looking at him going, oh, no, no, no. Our story is humanity begins not in, not in a desert, but in a garden, This tells us something about our God. From the very first pages of Scripture, what we find out is that God is not stingy, God is not scarce, that God is abundantly, lavishly generous. 
Uh, just this last week, we paused as a nation, and we all put on stupid glasses and stared at the sun. Anybody? Yeah, okay. And, and we were reminded for just a moment that this world that we live in is full of beauty. I saw a story about a man by the name of Sasha, Sasha Dichter, who um, is the chief innovation officer at a nonprofit that's in charge of distributing wealth among the poorest of people in the form of microloans. And what he found as he traveled to his job in the subway, he was taking the subway, he didn't work at subway, he was taking the subway, was that he was getting jaded just walking past all these people in need every day. And so he decided that he was going to do an experiment. He decided that for 30 days, he was going to give to anybody who asked him. He called it the 30-day generosity experiment. Could you imagine being in one of his friends knowing that he's doing this experiment? Hey, man, um, can I borrow some money for lunch? And you know he has to say yes. Okay, that's just my sick, twisted mind. Okay, but... So for 30 days, he does this, and, and what he wanted to do was try to rewire his brain to be more and more generous. And listen to what he says at the very end of it. He said at the end of his experiment, he said, giving is an act of self-expression, and generosity is a practice. He said, each time I decide not to give, I'm reinforcing a way of acting, one that's critical and analytical and judgmental. That was his take. He goes, listen, after these 30 days of yes, my mind was just totally rewired. His experiment reminded me a little bit of my wife. When we were first dating and I was on vacation with her family in California, we were at this um, t-shirt station in the boardwalk in San Diego. And we went up to this t-shirt place and um, she bought a t-shirt and she went up to the register and there was a little tip jar there at the t-shirt register. And I thought to myself, who in the world would tip a t-shirt person? I'm like, they're not doing anything. They're just doing their job. They're just standing behind the cash register. And my wife, she bought a t-shirt and then she dug into her wallet and she pulled out a few dollars and she stuck them in the t-shirt tip jar. And I'm like, we got outside the t-shirt place. I'm like, let's have a conversation. Because I, I think we actually may have been engaged at this point, but I'm like, I'm not sure we can go on with our marriage if you're going to be tipping the t-shirt lady. Like, I, I'm not sure if this is going to work out between you and I. And she said to me, and I'll never forget it. I've just shared this story before, but I'll never forget it. She, shared, she said to me, Ryan, if I want to be generous with my money, don't try to stand in my way. <laughs> Mike dropped. I think I struggle with what a lot of us struggle with. We, in our head, we want to be generous people. In fact, in fact, recent studies have shown that when we are generous people, there's parts of our brain that light up and go, yes. We're, we're wired for generosity. But many of us, myself included, we live in a, a totally different narrative, don't we? We don't live in this narrative of abundance like the world that we're created in, and, and we, we have a hard time really believing the words of Jesus that are quoted by the apostles in the book of Acts. It's more blessed to give than it is to receive. We go, yeah, I know that in my head, but it's really hard when it comes to my pocketbook. Is anybody with me? Am I, am I alone in this? We, we know it. We want to go there, but we have such a hard time doing it. 
The book of Proverbs talks a little bit about why. And, and here's what the book of Proverbs says. In Proverbs chapter 18, and like I've said over the last few weeks, um, after chapter 9 in the book of Proverbs, we have a potpourri of wisdom statements. And so in order to pull together a sermon on generosity like we're doing today, we're going to take it from a bunch of different parts. But listen to the way that Solomon writes in Proverbs chapter 18. He says, the name of the Lord is a strong tower. In the um, ancient wisdom literature, this would be a picture of security, of strength, of goodness. The righteous man runs into it and is safe. A rich man's wealth, which by the way, just um, as far as the world's concerned, all of us are rich people. The rich person's wealth is his strong city. So, so here's what the book of Proverbs is pointing out. We, we have two different choices of where we run. We have two different choices as far as where we find our security. We have two different choices of where we find our strength and what we put our hope in. We can put it in God, the strong tower, or we can put it in ourselves, and we often put it in, as the book of Proverbs points out, our what? Our wealth. Yeah. That, that's what we say, this is going to keep me safe. This is going to be my security. This is going to be my safety net. And Proverbs, what Proverbs would push back on, and what Proverbs would say to us, is the very same thing Jesus says to the people who want to follow him. There's only one source. And hey, will you look up at me for just a second? It's not you. Which should take a little bit of the weight off of us. In fact, Jesus tells a story, one of the parables that he told. He tells a story about this rich man who doesn't know what to do with all of his wealth. And here's what he says. He says he told him a parable, a story, saying, The land of a rich man produced plentifully, which just anecdotally, by the way, when they would farm back in this day, farming was a true partnership between the divine and the human. Because people would plant seeds, and then God would make it water. And so this plentiful take of a crop was the result not just of this person's work, but of the God whom provided the rain. And he thought to himself, what shall I do, for I have nowhere to store my crops? And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones, and there I will store all my grain and my goods, and I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for you for many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. There's one word that stood out to me in that passage. Any guesses what it was? I. I. I I'm going to do this. I'm going to make sure that I'm okay. And what, it, what we do, because we have a narrative of scarcity that goes around in our brain, we forget that the world we lived in, live in is God-bathed and ridiculously beautiful and that God is exceedingly generous. We start to go, well, I alone have to make this happen. And we forget that the scriptures teach us that, that all things come from God. That from him and to him and through him are all things, the book of Romans says. But hey, look up at me for a second. We forget that, don't we? 
And we think we have to be the source of our own security and the source of our own safety. I love the way, I love the way that C.S. Lewis put it when he said this. He said, for many of us, the great obstacle to charity or generosity lies not in our luxurious living or a desire for more money, but in our fear, fear of insecurity. So I have this conviction that there's not a person in this room that does not want to be a generous person. Whether you follow the way of Jesus or you don't, my conviction is that you want to be a generous person because you know that there's something in you that lights up when you share with the people around you. But there's some challenges to that. And the first challenge is we forget what the source of everything is. And so my invitation this morning, my first invitation is trust the source. Trust the source. The scriptures are clear. James chapter 1, verse 17 says this, Every good and every perfect gift is where? From above. It comes from God. Uh, Coming down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation, no shadow, no change, that everything good that we have is a gift from God. Now let's just pause for a moment. Every good gift you have is from God. Your family, that's a a good gift. You may go, I wouldn't put that in the category of good gift. Okay, fair enough. But a lot of you do. Um, It's a gift from God. Friendship's a gift from God. A house to live in, a gift from God. From God. And you go, well, well I worked for that. I, I strove for that. And God goes, exactly. And who gave you the body and the ability and the skill and the mind to do that? See, if you push it back far enough, here's what you're going to find. That he is the source. And if we aren't convinced that God is the source of all, we'll live in a narrative of scarcity instead of a narrative of generosity. He's the source. Flip over to Proverbs chapter 11 with me. Because the Proverbs are going to, wisdom literature is going to push it further than just that. Not to just remember who the source of everything is. But they're going to put out, the book of Proverbs, the scriptures, the word of God's going to put out a little carrot, as it were, for the way of generosity. Proverbs chapter 11, starting in verse 24. One gives freely, yet grows all the richer. Another withholds what he should give and only suffers want. Whoever brings blessing will be enriched, and whoever waters will himself be watered. Um, If you were to read this um, passage of scripture in the message paraphrase version of the Bible, here's what you'd find. The world of the generous gets larger and larger. Isn't that a great line? Yeah, okay, thanks. Thank you, Aaron. He's on staff. We pay him to say yes. Isn't that a great, isn't that a great line? Yeah. The world of the generous, people who, who give themselves and their stuff, what happens to their world is it gets bigger and bigger and bigger. But the world of the stingy, it grows smaller and smaller. 
The New Living Translation says it like this. Give freely and become more wealthy. Be stingy and lose everything. And if you're going, hey, Paulson, this sounds a little bit like something I could watch on TV really late at night on TBN, okay? With an appeal for money to come after it. Here's the thing. No appeal for money to come. This is just an appeal to live in the way that God has wired the world to work. That as we are generous people, as we live in this way of abundance, not scarcity, the narrative of God is good and he's the source of all, therefore my hands can be open, they don't have to be closed. As we live in this way, our world gets bigger and bigger and bigger. That's what the scriptures teach. And, and see, here's what you find if you were to look back at this and the ESV, this, this idea of gives freely literally could be scatters. It's the picture of a farmer who goes out into his field and, and scatters seed. But notice, when a farmer comes to harvest time, they do not find themselves harvesting seed. They harvest fruit. They harvest wheat. They harvest grain. See, what happens when they sow the seed is it turns into something even better than what they gave away. And the scriptures are teaching the same thing. So it's not going, hey, if you give money away, you're going to get it back tenfold on you. No, that's not what it's saying. It's not, it's not putting that outside the bounds of what God might do. What it is saying is your world gets bigger and bigger and bigger. And stuff better than money when you're generous starts to fill up your life. It goes on. It says the person who blesses, uh, they will be blessed. They will be watered. So it's not just giving away our stuff. It's giving blessing. It's being people that speak a good word over those around us. It's being people who, who see gifts in others and call them out. Did you know that's a form of generosity? What you say with your mouth is a form of generosity. And so what the scriptures say is the people who bless others, they don't find themselves with a lack of people around them with good things to say about them. They are filled up as they give out. So is your life in line with this? That's the question that the scriptures ask because not only do we have to trust the source, but, but we've, we've got to understand God's plan. I was um, coaching my son's baseball team, uh, little eight-year-olds, and after a few batters, sometimes fewer than others, all the balls would be behind the backstop. They would be caught by the backstop because of swings and misses or bad pitches, okay? Um, so after that, all the kids would go there, and they would, I would make them all go back behind the backstop, and they'd throw me the balls on the pitching mound, and, and eventually I got to the point where my glove was filled up, and I tried to catch them with my bare hand, and, and soon I had all these eight-year-olds just pelting me with balls, right? Because my hands are full. And it's this, I think it's this picture of what Proverbs is teaching, that in order to give, your hands have to be open, right? But did you know that in order to receive, your hands have to be open too? That if your life is so full of stuff, if your time is so jam-packed with zero margin, and you've got so much going on, and, and your life, proverbially speaking, is just like this, and you've got no hands open, listen, listen, listen. You also have no ability to receive from God. And so the picture 
that Proverbs paints is this open hands both to give and to receive. Is that a picture of your life? Is that a picture of your life? Because here's what I want to challenge you to do today. Is I want to challenge you to embrace this invitation. To step in line with the way that God has wired not only your body and your brain to work, but the way that he's wired his world to work. To embrace the invitation to live generous lives, open-handed lives lives. It's simply saying, God, my life is yours. How do you want to use it? What do you want to do? What, what type of story do you want to tell with my 80 or 80 plus or 80 minus years that you give me on this earth? What do you want to do? My hands are open to you. My life is open to you. What do you want to do? And in the next few minutes, here's what I want to do. I want to paint three pictures for you of ways that you can be generous. Okay? I want to paint three pictures for you really practical things that you can do this week in light of the challenge to trust the source, understand God's plan, and to embrace the invitation. Here's the first thing. The book of Ephesians says this. It says, Paul writing to the church at Ephesus, he says, look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise but as wise. Will you say this with me, friends? Making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Um, literally, the picture painted in the Greek is of one who redeems the time, makes the most of opportunities that God brings into our path. You know what I found as I thought about just my last week and the things that God brought into my world, opportunities to be generous? I could think of three right off the top of my head this last week, and here's what every single one of them had in common. They were inconvenient. Every one of them. They weren't in my schedule. Hey, here's a distinctive about generous lives. People who live with open hands to God saying, what do you want to do with my life? They trust that God's calling is more important than their calendar. It doesn't mean that they don't show up at work. Please hear me, that. Hear, hear me on that. It means that they show up to work with a completely different lens. God, what might you want to do in my life today? As I was looking at our message last week in, in the, the issue of justice, one of the stories that I read a few times was the story of the Good Samaritan. You might be familiar with it. If you're not, it's in the Gospel of Luke chapter 10, and there's a lawyer that comes to Jesus and says to him, um, what must we do, master, to inherit eternal life? And Jesus responds, well, what does the scripture say? And he says, love the Lord your God with all your soul, heart, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus goes, well, that's great. Go and do it then. And the person responds, well, who's my neighbor? And to that question, Jesus tells the story of the Good Samaritan. In light of the priest and the Levite who walk right past the person on the side of the road who's in need, you have this Samaritan who stars in the story. And he shows up and he cares for the person that's broken. The thing that struck me this week is that must have been a huge inconvenience. Not just of money and not just of care, but of time. He's on that road because he's going somewhere. And how many times do I use the excuse, well, God, I've got things to do. I've got places to go. I've got things that I've got to take care of. Here's what generosity says. 
Generosity says, I'll stop what I'm doing to fill the need. I'll take on some liability to bring hope. I'll embrace the interruption as divine calling. Because people who live with open lives to God, they live under the mantra, or they try, that opportunities often look like inconveniences. Will you say that with me? Opportunities often look like inconveniences. Here we go. Opportunities often look like inconveniences. They do. They do. And see, even if you're not a follower of Jesus, you can practice this this week and see what it does in your life. To say, God, my calling, your calling on my life is more important than my calendar. It might look like, hey, dads, when you get home from work, instead of continuing to work on your phone, generosity might look like turning it off. There's this thing called airplane mode. You, you know about it? Okay, it means nothing can get in, right? Yeah, that, that's what it might look like. It might look like taking time to have a conversation with somebody in your workplace or your neighbor that comes and wants to chit-chat with you while you're mowing your lawn. Please, God, help these people. <laughs> that's what it might look like. Uh, it might look like somebody who's struggling at work saying, hey, if there's anything you need, I'm, I'm willing to help you out. It might be having somebody over for dinner. It might be signing up to lead a life group. There's a lot of different ways you can practice going, God, let me see the opportunities you bring my way. Here's the second thing. In that parable Jesus tells, he ends with this um, impartation. He says, but God said to him, this person who's the I, 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 me, 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 bigger barns guy, he says, fool, this night your soul is required of you, and the things you've prepared, whose will they be? So it is, so is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. So here's the picture. Here's the picture. It's of the person, generous person who says, God, your kingdom is more essential than my accumulation. God, what you're doing in the world is better than bigger barns. It's be better than nicer cars. It's better than bigger houses. God, what you're doing in the world is so much bigger and so much better and so much more beautiful. I want to be a part of it. And this is where we give a, a piece of our resources back to God and go, God, I want you to take this little gift and I want you to multiply it and I want you to make it beautiful and I want you to make it way bigger than it would ever be in my bank account. And I'm not saying that saving is bad. I think it's actually a very biblical principle found in Proverbs. But the other principle alongside of it is generosity with our time and with our resources. Let me give you four things really quick. I'm going to fly through them that being a generous person does. According to the scriptures, there's, I mean, we could do a whole series on this, but let me do a flyover. One, being a generous person shapes your heart. Because here's what Jesus says in Luke chapter 12, verse 34, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So, so when you give to a nonprofit that's doing great work to wipe out malaria in Africa, you find yourself praying for that more, don't you? When you give to South Fellowship Church, and so many of you do, and so many of you have, in sacrificial and really beautiful ways, you find yourself going, I'm invested here. I'm invested here. It shapes our heart. Here's the second thing it does. 
it opens us up to see God's provision in our life. When we're generous people, we see God provide. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 8 says it like this, And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. God fills you up in order to spill you out. God fills you up in order to spill you out. It shapes our heart. It frees us to see God's provision. It furthers, third, it furthers God's mission. It furthers God's mission. Um, my friend and yours, Jeff, Dr. Jeff Brodsky, who um, started Joy International that works with slavery victims, he told me this over lunch the other day. He said, when Joy International has money, girls get rescued. Yeah, that's part of God's mission. Wholeness, goodness, beauty. Um, I love it. That, that's part of our mission, too. This last year, I don't know if you're aware of this, but this last year, as you give to benevolence, it, it frees us to help really practical needs within the church body. We were able to give out $30,995.12 this last year to people in our church body who were hurting and who needed help. That's awesome. We were also able to come alongside 24, 25 missionaries and to the tune of $100,000 were able to support them this last year because we believe, we collectively together believe that when we're generous, we further God's mission and we want to see his name proclaimed on every corner of this globe. He's that good. We were able to open, because of your generosity, because of your generosity, we were to have 88 outside organizations who have zero association with South Fellowship Church use our building this year. 88 groups of people, either every week or one time in the last year, come and benefit from your generosity. I love that. That's God's mission being furthered. That's awesome. That's a beautiful picture of this truth that we're seeing that God's kingdom is more essential than to us just accumulating or getting a really nice building or facility or car or whatever. So here, let me ask you this question. Oh, finally, finally. It results in praise to God. That's what happens. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 11, you'll be enriched in every way, to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. How might you start this week? Maybe you're here today and you're not a follower of Jesus. When you're welcome here, we love having you here. But, but this is for you also. And maybe it's finding a nonprofit that you feel like is doing really, really good work. Give. Maybe, it, maybe it's deciding that for the first time, you're going to start giving just a little bit every week to what God's doing here at South. Praise the Lord. But here's my challenge to you this week. Will you practice this biblical principle of trusting that God is the source, understanding his plan and walking in his invitation to say, God hasn't given me this stuff just to hoard it. He's actually calling me to have open hands. You take that to him. What does that look like for you this week? I don't presume to know. I just know his calling for you is to live a life of generosity. See, the question a lot of us ask is, God, how would you how could you even use my life? Because, um, Lord, I'm willing to give you my time, but I don't have a whole lot else. 
What might you want to do with me? I love this picture of Moses in the Old Testament. He's um, one of the main characters that God uses, people that God uses to chart the course of the nation of Israel. And he's having that same conversation with God. See, I think Moses wanted to be generous, but he sort of felt like, I'm the last guy in the world that you'd choose to do something great through God. And listen to this conversation. It says, and Moses answered God, Behold, after he's told him, listen, I don't, I'm not the best talker. I don't really, I'm not the guy you should choose. Moses answered God, but behold, they will not believe me or listen to me, my voice, for they'll say, the Lord did not appear to you. And the Lord said to him, will you say this with me, church? What is that in your hand? I, I highlighted that because I wanted you to read it, but also um, because I think it's the same question God asks you. What's in your hand? What do you have? And Moses answered, and you do know that anytime God asks a question, it's not because he doesn't know the answer. Okay. He said to him, um, it's a staff, it's a stick, God. And he said, throw it down on the ground. And he threw it down, which is this picture of generosity. I'll, I'll, I'll give it away. God. Throw it down. It's, it's out of my hands now. So he threw it on the ground, and it became a a serpent. It became a snake, and I love this line, and Moses ran from it, right? (laughs) Throw it down, boom, ah! (laughs) Uh, Here's the thing, you guys. There's There's some things in your hand. They just look like a stick. They look like brokenness. They look like pain. They look like abuse that you've walked through. They look like raising a special needs kid that's taken everything you've got. They look like a past that you would rather forget than remember. There's some things in your hand this morning. And the question God asks you is, will you surrender those things, give them over to me, and trust that I could do something with them? See, generosity looks like saying back to God, God, your strength is more significant than my skill. So whatever is in my hand, God, I'll give to you. I'll throw it down. See, ability, availability is way more important than ability. Just saying to God, God, what do you want to use my life for? It's yours. Lead me. Guide me. We have a couple in our church, the Copelands, Chris and Joy Copeland, and they've been on this journey with God over the last few years of saying, God, we want you to do something great in our life. We want you to show yourself powerful. And they started to ask the dangerous question, God, what do you want to do with us? Our, our lives are open to you. I want to share with you just a, a portion of their journey. My, my hope is it's an encouragement to you as you say back to God, God, our lives are open to you also. What do you Hi. want to do? Hi, I'm Gage, and I'm 13. Hi, I'm Gavin, and I'm 12. Hi, I'm Garrison, and I'm 15. I'm Joy. And I'm Chris. No ages? No. <laughs> <laughs> I, I spent that week praying, God, I don't know what you're doing and why you would call this unadventurous girl overseas. 
so Chris and I, for our anniversary, we give each other goals. And my goal for Chris, this the couple years ago, was you need to figure out what you want to be when you grow up. And so I asked him for the next year to spend some time in prayer about what God would want him to do. I started praying uh, through that year and um, I felt like almost immediately God was saying missions and I thought that doesn't make any sense. We just bought a house and Joy, you know, I wasn't sure if she'd be on board with that. I was afraid of what her reaction would be if I told her that. Uh, after about nine months of wrestling with God, I finally said, okay, God, if this is what you want for us, you better like work on Joy's heart so that she's prepared for this. And, uh, and then this luck would have it. One day we were walking out of church and um, I, I was just talking with Chris and I said, hey, do you think we missed our calling? Maybe we should have been missionaries. And Chris just said, yes, let's go. And I went, what? <laughs> and so um, I didn't talk to him about that after that because I'm not adventurous. And I spent the week praying and God kept pushing, talk to Chris, talk to Chris, talk to Chris. And I was like, oh, fine. So at the end of the week, I talked with Chris and he told me what God had been putting on his heart. And I was like, oh man. Okay, well, we can wrestle with God, or we can just pick up and go where God calls us. And so uh, we started praying that God would reveal to us where we should go. We had three different conversations uh, with with different staff at World Venture, uh, and we told them our background: my growing up Catholic, her growing in a growing up in an alcoholic family. And they said, "Gosh, you, you should consider Ireland." And we we're like, "Ireland? Are there missionaries in Ireland? Like, what's going on in Ireland?" And um, you know, three different conversations, unrelated, and they all confirmed Ireland, and we were like, okay, God, you must be trying to tell us something. And so we decided to do some research and meet the team, and, and God really confirmed for us that that's where he wanted us. And it was, it was strange for me because I'm, uh, I'm not a pastor. I'm not, you know, I, I, we've done ministry before, both of us, but um, I'm a business guy, and I thought, okay, what's God gonna do with me? And you know, my master's degree is in leadership development, and so I thought, how is he going to use that on the field? Probably January of 2015 is when we really hit the ground running. Yeah. So about two and a half years we've been raising support. That's been hard because God's plan isn't easy. God's plan isn't black and white. Um, it's not, I'm going to tell you every step of the way. It's a, you trust me and trust me to lead you. Even though it's a struggle, we've also seen really awesome things happen. Um, and we got a $10,000 anonymous gift once. You know, we're like, where does that come from? And mm -hmm. so we've seen we've seen God work even when, you know, we're doing our best and it just doesn't seem to be going anywhere. God will say, here, here's some stuff for you. You know, I think for me, it's it's like cherishing the, the time we have here and the growth that God wants us to go through before we get to the field and really embracing um, what he wants us to learn here before we go because it's easy to go okay this is our destination this is where God wants us and that's our end all um, but then God's like no no no, no. I'm, I'm taking you through a process I mean it, it is hard you wake up and you go God are we ever gonna get there like what's what's going on you know there and we're very open with our boys about how we're feeling that day and our kids nine out of ten times will go God has called us so we need to remember that mom God's called us he'll get there He'll get us there in his time. So now when we hit difficulties, we go, okay, we know God can. We're just waiting for whether he will or not mm -hmm. in this case. And that's how we get through our, our difficulties. Yeah. This journey of ups and downs and twists and turns and joys and sorrows and frustrations where you just want to go, ah, oh, you know, um, it's so worth it. It's worth it because God calls you. It is probably the 
the greatest adventure ever. And coming from a non-adventure person, adventurous person, I recommend it. And I would do it again, and I'd probably do it the same way, because this is how we learn and grow deeper and stronger in our faith. The Copelands are going to be out at a table um, if you want to talk to them further and, and hear more of their story. They'll be out at, at a table in the lobby after the service. But here's my closing question for you. How is God challenging you and inviting you to be generous? To believe the truth that God's calling is more important than my calendar, God's kingdom is more important than my accumulation, and God's strength is more important than my skill. What step might you take this week that would say, I believe those things. And here's the, here's the thing, here's the thing, here's the thing, here's the thing. If you are a follower of Jesus this morning, you have everything you need, every motivation to be that kind of person. Listen to the way we'll close with this, that Paul says it to the church at Corinth. For you know, church, South Fellowship Church, you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Do you know it? Yeah, that though he was rich, yet for our sakes he became poor. That is, he was generous to us. He gave his very life for us so that you, by his poverty, might become rich. That's the story we live in. Those are the songs that we sing. And the invitation from the scripture is, will you be a picture of your great God to his beautiful world? I pray that we will. Let's pray. So, Father, this morning we say back to you, we believe that you're the source. And we say back to you, we trust that your plan is good, that it's true, that the world of the generous grows larger and larger. And we want our world to grow. We want our influence to grow. We want our relationships to grow. Lord, teach us to be generous people. Lord, with the time that we have, with the resources you've given us, and for the gifts you've provided, we want you to use them in our lives for the glory of your name. Would you teach us more and more what that looks like? It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. All God's people said? Amen. 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 Hey, two ways. One, um, you could stick around if you want. Uh, we're going to have a potluck after second.